Here we go. Uh, Dojo Universe episode 100. So welcome, everybody. We're going to get Terry up on the big screen here. Welcome, Terry. How's it, how's it going out there? It's going well. Can you hear me? Yes, we can, and we can see you a little bit, too. So welcome. Thanks for coming. Um, so, uh, Terry, in case you don't know, and maybe folks here don't know either, but we've been doing this show now for um, – Almost, well, I mean, over two years, really. We've missed one or two weeks along the way, but this is our 100th recorded episode. And uh, not all of them are still posted because of random, uh, random reasons that uh, were kind of slightly embarrassing. But we've recorded 100 shows, so thanks for joining us. Um, so uh, welcome. And what we want to do is we want to get everybody here to type in lots of questions in the chat box. Uh, for Terry as as they come to mind. Uh, but I thought what I'd do, Terry, if you're up for it, I have 10 rapid-fire questions for you that I just wrote down just wow. to get things warmed up. What do you think? Whatever you want, big guy. It's fine. All right. So um, no long response is required nor merited in many of uh, these cases. <laughs> but uh, I just thought I'd uh, get this going here. So let's get started with, uh, let's see. What's your favorite ice cream flavor? Oh, my God. Chocolate. <laughs> Chocolate. Check. All right. Uh, uh, these are just general ones. Favorite vacation spot. What's the best vacation spot? Las Vegas. Done. Uh, do you text, like, on your cell phone, or are you not there yet? I, I text. He texts. Incredible. A lot's changed since... Uh, since I was out there. Okay. Uh, favorite like, hobby. What, what's that, Terry? I just like, just like people that text when they're driving. It drives me crazy. Yeah. It's illegal here, uh, if, if that helps. Totally illegal out our way, too, but it still happens, you know? Yeah. I, uh, I definitely don't do that. Uh, I actually got busted for it a couple of years ago. And, uh, oh. But I got out of it, luckily, but I, now I don't do it anymore. Okay. So um, next question, favorite hobby outside of piping? NHL hockey. NHL hockey. Yes. That was kind of a struggle. If you're anything like me, I don't have much time for anything else. Okay. <laughs> um, okay. What was your first car? This one comes from Patrick, our associate. He wants to know okay. what your first car okay. was. Okay. This, I got this one for sure. It was a Volkswagen Bug, a Beetle. It was $125, all right? It had the most fantastic steering wheel cover of all time, this beautiful brown leather with perforations all over the place. But the car did not make it home from the sale. That was my, my first car. <laughs> it just didn't run or what? Like it died on the way home? Or? It's convenient. It ran about you know, two miles and then it died. But I still, <laughs> I still kept the car. It had issues. It had fuel pump issues. But it was a great, great car. Okay, that's good. All right, so now we're now we're uh, getting a little bit more intimate here. Uh, what what bagpipe tune is stuck in your head today? In my head today? Yeah. Or recently, if not today. Any great two four march, really? Really? Yeah. Two four, four march. march. That's a hard one. You know, there's just so many great ones. I'm I find myself whistling or singing two four marches all the time. Okay, well, that's pretty good. 
I mean, that's a little bit less. That's a little bit less bad than people who are stuck singing Peabrock all day. So <laughs> it's pretty good. Thanks to all that. right. Favorite uh, tartan that you don't own personally? Henderson. Henderson. Like, can you describe it? Like, what does that look like exactly? Yeah, it's, it's green. It's, it's sort of a darkish green. green and black with a yellow stripe. Okay. It's just pretty cool. I've, I've seen several, you know, good players with it. Marie Henderson, of course, comes to mind and uh, a number of others, but it's a great tartan. Okay. Um, best SFU medley. This one's oh. this one's big. Oh my god! <laughs> oh, this is tough. That's, this that's is tough. Because, right there. Um, <laughs> not to tap, no, not to pat anyone on the back, but there have been a few good medleys, and I, I sort of, kind of relish in the development of each of them. Oh boy! But I think I'm gonna I'm gonna give it a tie. Um, I'm gonna give it a, a tie, first place tie to the Tom Wilson medley that first won us the worlds in 1995. That's my favorite. I'm going to say that was a good medley. Finishing with Back of the Moon was kind of a classic finish. And um, I'm going to go out on a limb and say our current medley, our new medley right now, is one of these ones that was a little more of a, a collaborative effort and just kind of came together easier than any of them and has been changed less often or in as many ways as any of them. It's sort of We've had it kind of since, let's say, January, February, and it kind of has stayed the same. And it finishes with a really great rendition of the Cameroonian rant, real, full on, the whole thing. And I just think it's a, a big statement, this one. Awesome. So I'm looking forward to hearing that. Okay, uh, two more questions, and then we're moving on to more serious business. Uh, what is the best pub in Glasgow? That's the next question. God. <laughs> Well, this is a tough one. I mean, we don't actually stay in Glasgow, right? So, I don't know, Park Bar. Park Bar. I feel like that was almost like a default response and that you didn't give it everything, but uh, <laughs> that's cool, though. Okay. Um, and then last but not least, this is, my, this is the question I really wanted to get to. Do you miss the mustache or not? Like, level with us here. Like, it's been a while, but... I you know. kind of miss the mustache, Doogie. Thank you for asking, but I, I, I do not miss the trimming thereof. It was not a pretty thing. I could never keep it balanced left to right. Maybe it's because I'm left-handed. It wasn't easy for me, but I do miss it, yeah. Okay. That, well, that, that does it for the 10 questions. Uh, We're done, me. I think. I think that's it. That does it, doesn't it? Yep. Thanks for joining us today, Terry. We will. Uh... <laughs> okay. So uh, let's get some of these people, uh, some of these people questions. So, Andrew Adams is asking, Terry, at what point did you know you were stepping down as PM, and when did you tell the current PM? And let's preface this question by saying, or, or by maybe saying, yeah, this has recently happened. Uh, what can you tell us about it that you're not sick of talking about? Well, I mean, uh, I suppose I have been asked what, at what moment did this happen. And um, I would say upon return really from the world's last year, but I would also say that during one of the performances of, at the world's, <laughs> I think it was the medley on the final day, where we sort of had a hurricane come upon us halfway through the medley, I thought to myself, is it really worth it right at this moment? <laughs> and so that was a, a, kind of like, that was the moment. It took that you that long to figure that out, to ask that question? <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> 
it kind of hit me square between the eyes that was just sort of bad luck, you know, and uh, um, it was a culmination of a bunch of things. But I, I, uh, I did come home and sort of, you know, just think about it. And, you know, it's not that I hadn't asked myself the question. And even Jack and I have spoke, to, spoke of it over the last couple of years, you know, you know, what could the, the future plans be here? What, what could be an exit strategy? What could we do? And, and we had no answer for that, really. And it just came to me that when I came back and reflected, I just thought there were many, many reasons that just made it feel like it was the right thing to do. And, I, and one of the reasons was, was I had a guy like Alan Bevan sitting there who has been a tremendous asset in the band for a number of years and tremendous player, great person. And, you know, if I could keep the core of the band in place and, and, essentially, you know, talk him into it or see if he was interested, etc. I had given him no inkling of anything. That there was a really great band still there and maybe it would benefit from, from a big change as well. The group would benefit, I would benefit, in that I'm not sure I could still give it 110% on the field. So I, so Alan, he was kind of reluctant at first, um, not knowing a clue what it was going to mean to his, his life sort of things, but he kind of <laughs> gave a qualified, unqualified yes, was sort of a tentative yes, and and let's see how it goes. But I, he wanted my assurance that I would be still around and still able to help in, in a bunch of ways, which I gave and I have given since, and kind of enjoyed the now the changing of the guard and the new role that I find myself in, which is a you know a role no less involved. It's just that. I have now, in the ensuing six months, made the decision. It was unclear whether I would continue to compete or not. Now the decision has been made. I'm not competing, so it's even better. So it's it's got younger, and I'm able to stand out and listen and analyze and help and tune and you know still create music and a bunch of other things. And no less busy, but really enjoying the this new move and this new role. Great. Well, let's um, uh, Lee's. The question seems to be a good follow-up to that. So uh, how long have you been, uh, or how long were you pipe major of the SFU pipe band then, or or grade one pipe banding? Well, I think it was 37 years, basically. And uh, it was fall 1977 when uh, Robert McNeil called me to see if I would pipe major and take over a band called City of Port Moody that had died for the previous couple of years. And... And I took that on, and in and 77 and 81, it became SFU, and sort of, you know, done it ever since. So 37 years. So, um, okay, so what aspect of doing that for 37 years, like, what brought you the most happiness, or, you know, what was your thing? Like, was it the competition aspect, working with other pipers? Like, what was the driving thing behind that for you? Great question, Andrew. Um, I I think it's everything really. The one of the big kicks for me is has been working with young players and you know seeing their enthusiasm and helping to develop them to for them to meet their goals, which in this case would have been playing with SFU. As long as the band stayed young and I was helping to foster that sort of you know the talent that they had, um, that was one of the big kicks for me in the last in the last you know four or five years, we've now seen our own kids, Jack and I specifically, have now what, you know four kids in the band, in the band, so there's, there's six Lees in the pipe core, 
this has been a great thing, but it's not just been about family. That came along later. But all along the way, we've had great youth. Um, I think another thing is that's been kind of cool is we've had lots of great girls in the in the band, pipers and drummers. We've definitely encouraged that. I've been one of the more encouraging grade one bands, I think, in, in that. We've always had a good core of, of ladies in the band and good people, and that's been good. Um, but for me also, it's not just, you know, it's not so much competition per se. It is about performance, whether it's on the competition field or on a big stage or whatever. Just playing, playing well and playing our best and, and tackling some big project is, is fun. So I, I, I didn't really have a big preference as to whether it was the Worlds or you know, a big concert stage. I enjoyed all that stuff, and I think we needed all that stuff to kind of keep the thing moving forward for 30-plus years. We he needed projects. We're a little isolated out here in British Columbia. We have a, you know, always had a great piping tradition here. And, and now with Reed Maxwell in the area, we have a, a good drumming tradition, but it's been a little, you know, small overall, and we need projects to keep our, ourselves interested and going and, and to be at a world level. Yeah, I think, you know, um, in my experience playing in the band, um, which I've been away from it for a while now, but one of the things that I've reflected on is exactly that. It's like you would assume that six-time world champions from – what, 5,000 miles away, uh, you'd think they'd have to be obsessed with just kind of like doing what it takes to win the Worlds. But that's really just sort of a natural byproduct of the general spirit of piping and, and doing things like concerts and, and playing a larger repertoire. I mean, am I on the right track with that, do you think? I think you're totally on the right track. I mean, I, you know, yeah, are we glad we, we've won the Worlds? You, you bet we, we are. And does it matter if it was one time or six times or whatever? Not really. Um, it was a totally a byproduct of, of playing bagpipes well and being fired up and being excited. That, that even led us to competing at international levels. When I took on the job in 1977, this was not even a pipe band. It was not a comp competition band. And then we were sort of thrown into grade one here, which at the time had two really good world-class grade one bands. They were the City of Victoria Pipe Band and the Trans Street Pipe Band. Well, we were clearly third place for the next four or five years. We got no sniffs whatsoever. And we had to sort of really dig down to start producing something that would even be competitive locally, let alone nationally or internationally. So it all just became a byproduct of a steep learning curve, learning how to do the job and, and people's enthusiasm, you know, that led us to traveling in the first place. So yeah, it was totally a byproduct. It wasn't the priority to, and it isn't all consuming that we think, you know, winning is the end all and be all. It's the only thing it's not. Yeah, that's, that's fascinating. I actually wouldn't mind returning to some of those things that you did maybe to, uh, to reinvent the wheel a little bit and, and uh, you know, that kind of thing. But let's do a couple of more uh, people questions here. Um, I, this, this is a great one. Um, what is it going to take for SFU to beat FM? Wow. You know, like, uh, or, or, or is it just that, you know, or, or is it six of one, half a dozen of the other, and they've just come out on top? Or, you know, what's your thoughts on these matters? What's your thought on this matter? Well, that's a great question. I, I don't know. I, um, FM's on a, on a major role right now. That is not a secret. They are terrific. Um, they, like anyone else, are not unbeatable, on the other hand. 
and you don't have performances that are one time that's better than the next time, etc. We all have issues. We all have the instrument. Um, I think it's it, it's six and one half. I really really believe that a strong SFU band will be right there with Field Marshal or anybody else. And um, I, I, you know, it's hard from here to, you know, it, it, you, all we can do is control our performance. We cannot control anything else whatsoever, never have. And so I'm not beginning to sort of, I can't speak to results, so to speak, or to win. But I think if we continue doing everything to our absolute best and continue to try to reinvent the wheel in terms of can we get better in certain areas, that we will challenge FM uh, any anytime, anywhere. That's what I think. Yeah. And I don't think, you know, and I don't think there's any, especially as someone who knows you, Terry, I mean, that's not a, it's not arrogant or anything. That's just the, I think, and I agree, I think that's the way that it is. And my take on the matter would be, and you could tell me whether or not you agree, but um, I think, you know, my personal opinion, and I, hopefully I don't get in trouble for this either, but is that S SFU and FM are really, and maybe maybe I'm missing some bands, but they're the only two bands that are actually uh, that are actually producing their actual best possible product on any given day, especially when August comes around. And I think, you know, I think that's where the dominance has come from. Is you know, these two bands are you know truly at the top, and I think each band has advantages and disadvantages that they have to deal with. Sure, absolutely. I agree with that. You know, they are consistent. I do think the class is stronger now than it maybe has been in a while. There are certainly other bands knocking on the door and all that. Um, but you know, if we're looking at being our best, it's band, it's the band FM that we look at trying to compete with. Really, I mean, if you're if you're if you're beating them, you're probably beating the rest. The simple way of looking at it, really. Even though the some are very close, they don't all have all the assets that these two bands have. I don't think. Interesting. Do you think if here's a here's a weird question, and you can abstain if you want. Um, do you think that uh, if Ian McClellan was at his prime right now, uh, or or you know in the past couple of years, um, would uh, would they would they beat SFU and Field Marshal or not? Or are, have you guys you know taken it to the next level? Well, well feel free to abstain. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna abstain from anything. But uh, um, I, you know, cream always rises to the top. So Ian McClellan in a different era still dominates. But Ian McClellan probably has to change because certainly T. Lee and R. Parks and a bunch of other guys had to do that. You know, in, in tonally, but mostly music. Uh, the music in Ian's day could be more. Um, more conservative and less uh, creative and all that. I think now, you, you know, while one could say the medleys are kind of, you know, formulaic and whatnot, there, there's some similarity to them. Of course there are, because there's only seven minutes, which I hate. Um, you, he would have to change quite a bit now. But would he? Probably he would, because, you know, he's a super smart guy. He had great assets around him, and um, he would have adapted. And so it's like... A great athlete. Would, it, would they have been great now? Absolutely. Are you kidding me? This yeah. greatness is greatness. That's it. Okay. Um, here is a uh, here's an interesting question. This is like we're getting into the nitty gritty now. Um, what are your thoughts on? And this has been a little bit of a hot topic, I would say. Uh, you know, in the in the bagpipe 
uh, gossipy stratosphere. But uh, are grade one bands too big? Are they monopolizing players and or negatively impacting lower grade bands? What do you hmm. think about that? Because, I mean, obviously, that's that's a big issue that, you know, everybody struggled with for years, right? It's like, you know, how, how does a grade one band interact with lower grade bands? That's an excellent question. I'm not sure there is a correct answer. I do think part of it depends on what geographical location you're in. You know, let me say, for example, well, I'm not an expert on Ontario pipe bands, and I, I suspect that that area cannot support three grade one bands and then decimate what is a grade two class and maybe even a grade three and start to depend on grade three players coming up to fill ranks in grade one. I think that's an issue there. Um, it's It's... I don't really see the issue here so much in our case because we're kind of always creating our own, right? We've had our, we have junior bands in, they're often in, in varying grades year to year. You know, so for example, well, you know, we had a last, over the last few years, we had a grade three band, a grade four band, we always have a grade five band. But the grade three band went and won the worlds in 3A, which complicated things a little bit, and um, <laughs> got promoted to grade two. So now we have a grade one, a grade two, a grade four, a grade five. But at least we have most of the grades filled in the sense that the teaching program remains a focus and that there are kids coming up. And, you know, do, do most of them make it to SCFU? No, a very small percentage make it, but it doesn't mean we aren't contributing to the area. So in fact, we have contributed to a number of other bands here. And so the, the, the pyramid is still kind of heavily weighted at the bottom, you know what I mean? The, the cream is still a small minority at the top, and it's not so bad. You know, the question is, should band size be restricted in some way? Um, you know, I probably think it should be in some way, but I don't think it, you know, by, so let's say, severely cutting it to, say, 16, 18 pipers, does that solve problems? I don't know. Does it put the biggest and best sound on the field? Maybe not. But there, I could see some merit to restricting it more from an audience point of view and an adjudicator's point of view than anything else. It's up to bands themselves to create an environment where, you know, if you want if you want to be an SFU, you'll you'll try your darnest to get there. It really has little impact on other bands. Whoops. No. Oh, breaking. There we go. Um, little impact on other bands because <clears throat> many of them don't want to come to SFU anyway. So you know, I, I don't know that that solves a problem at all. Maybe it does in some areas. I go back to my original point. And I, but I wouldn't be adverse to bands being kind of a set size. I think it's, that's kind of a cool idea. I'm not sure what that optimal number is. But, for example, I, li I like something like 21, 22 pipers. It's when we get sort of, you know, 25, 26, whatever, plus that kind of you're not adding anything to the unison playing for sure, um, or the music, or the volume. So, you know, 18 to 22, pick a number in there. And I wouldn't be against it, I would say. Um, but yeah. there'd be, you know, in our case, there would be a number of disappointed players. It's not because we're absorbing players, it's because for some reason, in the last, you know, five years or so, a decent number of players have wanted to come to our band, thankfully, and we have not a credible number of players, but like 27 or so right now, 
which is a big number if you start saying you only play 18. Now you've got an issue, right? Now you maybe some guys do get disgruntled, quit, but do they quit and go to another band or do they quit piping and say, oh, I couldn't quite make it at SFU? I don't know. Hard to answer. Yeah, it's a tough one. It really is. I mean, I think I think you touched on something too. I mean, would you say that folks focus too much on, you know, which players leave the lower grade bands and go to grade one and, and not enough on the positive impacts that having a successful grade one band can have on a community. For example, uh, in British Columbia, there's no doubt that a lot of the lower grade bands are are successful and they're working their way through the system and upward, uh, largely to do with um, aspects of the SFU program at work. Whether whether it's a you know a piping le piping leadership of some kind, instruction, um, even just having a role model. I think you know I think. People forget about that sometimes when, when their best player leaves to go play with, with the grade one band in the area. It's a, it's a bit of a challenge, too. I mean, Terry, would you say that, you know, SFU sort of has a good problem there where they have lots of people coming in and you're never at a loss for players. Um, you know, if another band wants to sort of make the same impact and strive for the same level with no reputation and no track record of success, um, you know, what do you think is the necessary sort of components of that formula that would that, you know, sort of move them toward that success, you know, when there's sort of their consideration is, yes, I have to have 24 pipers and, you know, nine sides to do this. Um, you know, how do I do that? <laughs> you know, um, that's, and, that, and that's, a, that's a challenge here on the east, eastern part of the, the continent, you know. Well, I think the number one point would be whether we should turn up, for example, with 24 players, which I'd never be 26, 27, whatever. Let's say we last couple of years the world's been 23, 24. Does does that mean other bands here or wherever have to be 24? I don't think so. But they have they do have to be of a certain size. You can't put 16 against that. I, I get that point. But you know what? It's all about creating the fun environment in your own group and having a strong leadership style and showing progression and having a program of enthusiasm that is going to make people stay and. You know, why would I go join this this other band when this is about as fun as it gets right here? So it's always been kind of kind of about having a you know a good time in in challenging your playing and other things at SFU, for example, that has you know knock on wood kept many people staying perhaps longer than they originally thought, and so our turnover is not that you know dramatic. Um, I guess I'm about as proud of, of this point as any. It, when I handed over the reins, and by the way, I guess I never did answer that question. It was done at a party at my house, and I forget when, but let's say October. Um, I had, I had, no one had knowledge of that other than the absolute core around me, which is Jack Lee, Pipe Sergeant, Alan Bevan, who was take, both to take the job, and Reed Maxwell. That was it. And Rob McNeil, I think. Our manager. That was it, and we kept it absolutely quiet. What I'm most proud of is, since I did that, everything kind of went quiet in terms of there was no movement in the in the ranks in the uh, membership. Nothing. I thought this is kind of weird, and you know what I mean. I thought I'd I'd have a little fallout from perhaps a retirement, <laughs> and I was fearful of that. And uh, at the end of the day. There now has been movement out out of SFU and in, and so when in January probably 
We lost in the region of six very good players, and a couple of them were a concern. Most of them were to be expected. Um, I mean, for example, Rob Matheson, you know, thought about it and resigned eventually. Because he's a good friend of mine, that's why he was in SFU. And when I said I'm going to retire, he eventually made that decision. I totally get that, totally understood it. There were a couple of other surprises in there, but at the end of the day, we lose six and we gain roughly six. And are we any weaker for it? Really? No, I don't think so. I, I expect as strong an SFU fan on the field this year as any year. I expect it to be very good. And I think part of that will be the incredible job that Alan Bevan is doing, plus other factors like myself, you know, pushing him from behind and, and listening and, and helping and stuff. I think I'm going to be more effective outside than inside this year. And so life goes on at SCFU. That's the way I look at it. Um, let's take a time out to praise Alan a little bit. I don't think, I mean, most people know Alan as a, a, an amazing player and an amazing technician, but um, I'd like to put out there um, his knowledge, his knowledge of piping is incredible. And the same goes for Jack and, and Robbie McNeil as well. Like, like these are some of the greatest masterminds, certainly that I've come across. I mean, uh, what can you say to that? Like, I, I always remember playing near Alan in the band um, and just, he would say things, he's a very quiet guy, and he would say things, and it's like, holy crap, yes, that is absolutely it. And uh, he's just a very smart guy. He is super smart. He's, like, he's quite quiet. I think this has been, you know, we, the guys actually have to listen a little more carefully when he talks because he's not a big talker, you know what I mean, not a big volume guy. But when he hits, makes a statement, it's like, you know, you listen, and it's right on. It's right on because he just is so smart and he knows what the problem is. Really good at diagnosing the problem. And I, I've noticed, for instance, our unison playing this year get markedly better from last year because of Alan's influence. And uh, it'll be a different sort of, you know, leadership style and all that. But he's kind of come in and, you know, initially was maybe a little tentative on the job. Who wouldn't be? But you know, has now kind of grasping the job and kind of going for it. And you know what? It's good to have people like Jack and Alan and Robbie and, and Reed Maxwell. That's our kind of our core, right? That's these are the guys we have. We literally have meetings. Uh, I would say three, four times a year. We now make a point of it. We didn't used to do this, but I found it very effective to have meetings. Now the meetings could be just are often just about direction of the band, you know, what's going on, future planning, stuff like that. We find it so time in our in our busy lives like everybody else to make time for such things, but when we do, it's like super effective. And so to have talented people like this with you and around you is, is super important. And and yes, let's not, you know, underestimate uh, Alan's incredible yeah. sort of piping ac acumen, just really sharp, really switched on. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, there's a couple of good um, follow, sort of follow-up related things that have come through here. Uh, what was the first one I saw? Uh, we'll have to come back to earplugs. What did I see? Uh, I'm glad you're oh. reading this because I don't have time to read that. That's fine, yeah. So Doug has a good question that I like. So we, you talk a lot about kids rocketing up through the competitive ranks. 
Can you offer anything inspirational as far as adult learners are concerned? And, um, you know, uh, are there any cool SFU stories with more adult learners? Well, I mean, hey, I, I don't, yeah, I don't want to sound sort of, you know, biased towards kids. I love kids. Okay. But, the, you know, that's super important to our program. But, you know, I don't know, as, imp as important are, you know, not just adult learners per se, but, you know, adult mature players. I mean, you know, for instance, when we go to, you know, piping hot summer drummer, I usually teach up there for a while and whatnot. I enjoy teaching the classes of adult learners as much as the young kids. I think this is great. It's like adults take, you know, a week or two out of their lives, spend all this money, come to this camp, go nuts with enthusiasm, learning stuff. It's fantastic. Now, in the same way, you know, the veteran player in SFU, for example, I have the utmost respect for these guys, and they are the absolute core, the absolute base of what you need to have through which you can now build youth. You've got to have a core. And, you know, I, I, I view those as similar things. In adult learners, and they're, these are inspired people. And, you know, we have it. Other good bands have it. Um, but it's a, it's never too late to to aspire to be good at something and to to do your best. And an adult learner sh should be encouraged just the same way. I think it's great. Mm -hmm. um, next one. Uh, let's see. Uh, okay, Arthur belongs to a band in New York struggling with retaining practice commitments versus showing up and playing well, but not uh, fully to their potential. Any motivating words or whatever or advice as to how to get people to show up? Yeah. I think, I mean, this is, this is more or less like I think it sort of touches on what we were talking about before. I mean, you know, SFU's got this sort of formula that works, you know, for the band and keeping people, uh, your turnover's not high and everybody's enthusiastic. You know, how, mm -hmm. how would that formula be adapted to, say, a band like, you know, the public service band who's sort of looking just to sort of realize their own individual potential, but, you know, you know, do those similar things work in that environment, or would they? You know, what kind of changes would be needed there? Well, this is an interesting one. I mean, where wherever I travel, work with bands, I hear this story so many times. Right, the band. It's it's really tough when the band has eight pipers, three sides, and no tenor and maybe a bass. You know, and how do you keep a weekly practice going and enthusiasm? This is really a tough one. Um, I, I don't know. I think. It's all about environment, right? It's all about not wasting people's time. There's too many pulls on people's time these days. You've got to make it fun to come to band practice. I'll tell you one way we make it fun. I can't tell you the last time we saw a practice channel at an SFU practice. For me, this is a big deal. This sort of sitting around the table for the first 45 minutes to an hour is a waste of time. That's what I think, especially on a weekly basis. You want to do it once in a while with new music? Maybe. But uh, we're fortunate enough to have an environment where we're in sort of lecture halls at, at the university and we have overheads and we're on pipes right away. But the, my point would be we're playing with the drummers almost every night and almost every night we're playing for a significant amount of time. We are rehearsing at band practice. We're not tuning scales and working on doublings and working on techniques so much. We're playing. And that's what your average guy wants to do when he comes out and Buses so and so for a 
Tuesday night practices. He wants to get his instrument out, sweat a little bit, have a little fun, and go for a beer afterwards or whatever. That's what that's what we do. And I think you create the atmosphere of, hey, I don't want to miss practice. We have some veteran people in our band who, some people who have kids now of their own, they could easily miss band practice. But I want to create a, help create an environment where they don't like to miss practice very often at least. And and they want to be there. And that's, and this is great. So that, you know, it's not unusual for us to have 20 pipers out of practice. This is a pretty big number for when you consider summer out of country and that will show up at practice. That's, I, this is good. And those practices are just way more effective than the ones where 9 or 10 or 12 or wherever 14 show up. So uh, I don't know. That's, you just, you've got to do your best to, you know, to work on sort of leadership style and projects and, and just to have more entertainment during that hour or two that you're together, a little less yeah. down. Yeah, I mean, one of the things about especially these lower grade bands, they have a lot of learners, you know, sort of yeah. players who are just sort of still developing. And, yeah. um, you know, what, and what, what's the reason why they picked up the pipes to begin with? They want to play them, right? They want to play tunes. They want to, they want to actually make music. Um, it's, it's, it makes perfect sense that that's what you should be doing as a band <laughs> as much as possible. Um, that's, a great, that's, that's a great point, though. That's a really you know, great point because it's hard to keep the what might be a, a, a group of learners going while the band's supposed to be going as well, right? I know a lot of bands run run some sort of learning sessions right before their practice, or they overlap maybe, and this kind of thing. I think that's all all good. Um, you just need to work on an effective way of maybe one person is off doing this, or it is before band practice, or what have you, or you encourage those people. You know, I, I'm all about, uh, if, if I had a, you know, five or six sort of learners, let's say, it's all about, oops, it's all about giving them, whoops, <laughs> um, the music going forward. They should be at the senior practice with music, practice chanters, learning stuff, and maybe they can be, you know, immersed into that, into a portion of that practice, um, and then go home. Do you know what I mean? While the other ones maybe carry on with competition stuff. It's about getting them involved, getting them fired up. Once they get the bug, there will be no stopping them. It's how to make it work, right? It's, it's a, it's, it can be awkward, but it's super important to encourage, not to discourage. Okay, cool. Hey, Terry, before we run out of time, um, this is something we overlooked. Uh, Thomas is asking about it. Can you give us like a five minutes or less Terry Lee background? Like how did it all come together for you? Um, and then there's also a qu little question about uh, – <clears throat> that you used to be a dancer or do you still dance or, you know, so what's the Terry Lee history? Con concise, the concise oh, Terry um, Lee. Isn't that your dancer kilt in the background there? I see, I see sort of a dress. You know what? <laughs> That's funny. That's, I, when the screen came on, I thought, what was, why is that kilt there? That, that is actually my daughter's <laughs> new dancing kilt. Oh, okay. It should, it should be hanging up. I'm just saying kind of poor on my part, but um, the, the, I don't know. The T Lee history thing is not, that incredibly interesting, but what it is is uh, essentially my grandmother started Jack and I both on piano, and um, you know encouraged us encouraged us to do Highland dancing before we did piping. You know Jack with two left feet lasted five minutes at Highland dancing didn't work, and uh, I having a bit of a right foot at a left foot sustained that uh, right through till about age 17. That so, but in the meantime, Jacket was running off of the practice center. He started before I did 
and in fact, a year or two later, started me off. And uh, so we both were, in my case, I was, you know, piping in, dancing competitively, and that had its issues. But uh, eventually I became sort of too, let's say, cumbersome or large for the dancing boards, as they call them. So I, I uh, was able to fit heavier ghillie brogues, keep my balance, and went more on to piping. Um, about the time I went into the pro class of piping, um, when at 17 was about the time I was getting out of dancing. So, you know, so I switched into piping and then meanwhile, I had been pipe banding as, as well. And I had started up at a, with a, with a, a group called Abbotsford Legion. It was a, a, a senior fellow, a great guy with a bunch of really good kids, really good kids. Andrew Bonar was in that group. Jack Lee was in that group. Da, da, da. And then I went over to the city of Victoria pipe band. It was just a, I just liked what they were doing. Jamie Troy had this really, really cool thing going on. So that, and that's on Vancouver Island. So that was me crossing on a ferry, which was a big deal at that time to go to band practice. You know, not, not that often, but I was doing my thing and, and going out of town to play in a pipe band. This is pretty amazing in the seventies and, uh, did that. <clears throat> Jack had his own thing going on with CPR pipe band at that time, sort of another kids band. I never went there. We both ended up hooking up at, at the Port Moody Resurrection, right? But uh, in the meantime, I was doing my thing with, you know, with solos and all that. Not so much internationally. That just never really happened for me at that time. But more, more locally, Jack and I were sort of, you know, fighting heads for years and years, coming up to the ranks as kids. And then in the pro class, um, fighting heads. And, you know, he would win one, I would win the next one, whatever. And... But eventually I got the sort of the real bug for the, the pipe band thing at about, you know, I think it was age 21, we became SFU and I was pipe major there. Um, you know, it just, my focus just went to the orchestra band and I found myself drifting out of solos. And so uh, that was about that. And, um, you know, through the years, I've been really encouraging of other players to do solos and bands. We have a lot of a lot of players who excel at both in our in our group, and um, you know that's it. Thirty-seven years later, you know, starting to hand hand it over now, and um, enjoying piping life. All good. Awesome. Um, let's see here. Okay, yeah, we covered the. Do you still dance? Because uh, and then we have a a spy in our ranks that says they spotted you dancing a fling last year. Oh so well, so there it is. Sometimes when there's the public pressure of, you know, let's say piping hot summer drummer and a couple of beverages at altitude, the and and Jack, if Jack's gonna do it, if I do it, in a <laughs> random moment, maybe they spotted something, but you know, generally the person would not be spotting such an event. Andrew, I can assure you, but it may have happened once in the last year, maybe. <laughs> I don't know. I, I think, yeah, I don't know. I think I may have. Have I seen it? I don't know if I've seen it. I don't think I've seen it. There you go, no, I don't think it is. Uh, what sort of educational background do you have? Yeah, hey Terry, can you talk a little bit about? Uh, yeah, like what what exactly do you do? Uh, what I do? You, yeah, like t talk about uh, your professional life a little bit and uh, how that kind of came together. Well, um, boy, I uh, you know I am a manager store called Tartan Town out here on the West Coast that's uh, done that since the late 70s. Okay, it's a long time, late 70s, 79. Oh, really? 
Um, I came out of uh, university and went straight into this job and um, have really sort of loved that ever since. Just been, you know, head down, going at it. Every every decade has its challenges. This one has as well as the rest. And you know, and enjoyed seeing the whole thing kind of kind of grow and change. It was all. It was. I came into a business that was all Highland dancing. It was. It, that's how it started. Was Highland dancing, and I and I sort of brought piping into it back in the day. And now it's you know quite diversified. Does a bit of everything. It's interesting. Uh, if I can offer an anecdote, um, I remember I used to really think that I wanted to have my own bagpipe supply shop when I grew up. And then when I was in uh, my first or second year in university at SFU, you were like, why don't you come out and work on Fridays at Tartantown? And so I did that. Um, and then it kind of, let's just say, different incidents came to pass perhaps where it, that didn't really seem to happen all that much anymore. Uh, but anyway, I'm very grateful for that. And but I came away from that experience thinking, oh geez, maybe that's not for me. Um, and now we're doing something a little bit similar, but a little bit different. But uh, but but there's a connection there. There's a connection there that uh, that's pretty cool. Um, do you still have the wet? I'm I'm trying to do the wet and the dry garbage here at the dojo. Um, are you still doing that? Because that, that's enlightened, man. There's nothing worse than having too many garbages where. Uh, you know, we're all we're all into recycling out here. It's wet and wet, and then it's dry. Got to separate. Oh God! All right, I'm gonna I'll put this one out there. It's a little bit self-serving, but it'll be a little bit embarrassing. So, what's the worst Andrew Douglas story from my SFU years? John Holcomb wants to know. <laughs> oh oh man, I don't know. I, there was, you know what? There was never really any any uh, outrageously bad moments at all. Um, more, I'd say, character moments. I just, you know, I don't know. I'm, I remember, what was the first big concert you did with us? Was it not, mm, what the heck was it? You tell me, what was your first big concert with it us? Was, it was the Vogue Theater, 2002, in March. Give me a bigger, me a bigger venue. Well, there was, uh, and then the Vogue Theater was warming up for the Glasgow, Belfast, Ireland trip that we did, I think, that year. Yeah, um, I don't know. I, I just I, I have this memory of you on a big stage, us us tuning up, sort of having sound check and whatnot, and you kind of being this character that you are and big, you know. Uh, let, let's just put it this way: you never stop talking. And I found that I remember that well, one of those occasions being somewhat irritated that we were trying to make this effective sound check, and you were like. Like a like a sort of a spinning top on the stage, you know what I mean? Like it just would stop moving and talking and whatever. That that's about as outrageous as it got for me. It wasn't that bad. I yeah. think Jack hit hit Andrew, would you please? And um, oh, I bet know, he did too. Uh, you know what? <laughs> the, the, your time's not forgotten here because you were a great character here, right? You had, you had all that going on. You wanted to be, you wanted to pipe your best, but you were like always thinking about music and stuff. And then and and it helped us create one or two of those really great medleys, by the way. We, I remember having sessions with yourself, you and me, um, were largely at one point doing it, and that was that was the yeah. team. And uh, that's great. So great times. Memories are only positive here. Well, that's good. I mean, uh, you know, I'm sure there were a few negative ones. I think there was one evening, with, may have may or may not have included altitude, but certainly included a few beverages, 
where I think we, you know, we got it in our heads that we should call Terry like really late at night, like oh, yes. or otherwise known as early in the morning. And right. then um, the the interesting thing was you were entirely receptive at that hour, uh, but <laughs> we called Stuart Little after that, and he was not he was not pleased. So uh, <laughs> that, that ended that. Uh, that remained that ended that escapade. So, but, uh, well, thanks for being kind to me there. And then John, I'm going to get you for bringing that up. Uh, <laughs> great. Well, why don't we use this as an opportunity to wrap this up? Because I'm sure your phone's starting to ring over there, Terry. And um, thanks very much for joining us and everything. And I don't know. I think that's pretty right. much it. No problem. Big hello to everybody out there. Uh, you know, good luck with your piping and drumming and, and whatnot and, and your enthusiasm and uh, Andrew congratulations on 100 shows and Vince thank you very much and uh, we'll talk at you again sounds awesome Terry thanks very much we'll wrap this up here and uh, everybody we'll see you we'll see you next week for episode 101 uh, very good or if I get enough email saying we should quit while we're ahead you know uh, we can do that too uh, there you go all right we'll see you later everybody Thanks again, Terry. See ya. You got it.